0: This is a Steam Channel program on UCTV. Go full Steam ahead at UCTV.tv/Steam, where science, technology, engineering, arts, and math converge.
1: When I finished law school, he told me, "Are you going to be an attorney in Argentina, or are we going to be playing brothers together in California?" And I decided to bail on Argentina, bail on everything, I had a law degree, democracy just came in Argentina back, it was nice, it was a lot of opportunity but I really wanted to be with my brother. It wasn't a business decision, it was a family decision, a hard decision, it was my my soul needed to be with my only brother.
0: Fernando Aguirre um, uh, is a legend in the in the surf world. He co-founded with his brother Santiago uh, Reef Fashions, or Reef the Reef brand, and the slogan was "Life is too short, go surfing." And so it took the kind of California lifestyle and made it worldwide. But like some of you in the audience, uh, Fernando is not from America. He's from Argentina, although he lives just a mile or so. Uh, uh, from us here. And he's also in charge of, that is, the president of the International Surfing Association, which now has 96 countries. The idea is to get surfing into the Olympics. And the last country is Norway, which I think would take a fairly, uh, a fairly good wetsuit to do that. So without further ado, and with some thanks to our corporate sponsors, Sara, the San Diego Foundation especially, San Diego uh, Gas and Electric and ResMed, as well as the USS Midway Museum, I'd like to have uh, Fernando Aguirre come up. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Steve. Um, buen dia, good morning to everybody. I'm not a professional presenter, so what I'm going to share with you is some, some images that I captured over over my, my life. Some of those are gonna be familiar to you, that you're gonna feel in, different, in similar positions. Some of them hopefully will inspire you. That's a, it's a city in Argentina, it's Mar del Plata, and it's the place where I was born and raised. It's a, it looks like an idyllic, nice beach resort, a summer vacation for a lot of people. Similar to San Diego, but on the other end of the Americas, at the very end of South America. I had a, I had the luck to have a mother. She was very young. She was 17 when I was born. And, uh, on her, uh, uh, what it could have been her senior year in high school, but she finished senior and junior in one year. So it was right after graduating. A few months later, I was born. So I had a, she was 17 and she had me that before she turned 19, she had me and my brother. So she was a very, very challenging. And that's my, that's my mom with us on the beach. And she was an open ocean swimmer. So she loved to swim on the ocean and she didn't surf at all. And surf didn't exist in Argentina where we were born. But uh, it was a, a very, very exciting for her to take her two kids to the water. And that's, that kind of sets our, set our life in a direction. Uh, I was lucky to have a brother. I still have a brother. We live a block away. We're only a year and a half away. And a lot of the times life is easier. When you, when you have those brotherhood or sisterhoods, uh, that are, you know, they go on life because, you know, doing business with your brother or your sister or members of your family is not easy. But if you can do it, it's probably the best way because they have your back and you have their back. So that was lucky. By the time I, I, high school, I started, uh, in high school, I was into, um, uh, into, community, uh, work, and it was a high school around the size of these 1,500 students in Argentina. And I was uh, the secretary of the student association. And that's me sitting in between uh, all my beautiful uh, uh, female uh, uh, ladies. At that time, I had hair. I don't have any now, but I have a bunch of curly hair. And um, some things change. You know, hair is one of the things that's going to change in life. But it's not the most important, believe me. But um, what, what matters, what I wanted to say is we had like all schools, we had student associations and we have uh, the government under pressure from the military shut down all the student associations because they thought that, that was bad for for us, for the students, which of course that wasn't the case. So basically I was, at 16 I was, uh, my passion which was working uh, uh, for the school and doing things for the students was gone. But I loved music and I was part of, in charge of the social s- side of the school association. So, uh, I went back to DJing, so that's me again with a lot of hair, I'm uh, 17, and I was organizing parties, being a DJ, promoter, and you know, anywhere from 100 people to 1,000 people, but in the middle of my senior year, the military in Argentina took over, basically they removed all elected officials from the president down to judges, city councils, mayors, everything, everybody was gone and they put military guys, and the military guys have a different idea about what they wanted with do with us. So the first thing they look is look at me and I was playing a lot of the band music, the music that they have a list of music that you couldn't play, we couldn't hear. So my parties were shut down. So in two years I lost two battles against the government. And the only thing that I really love other than music and being a community organizer was to surf. We were maybe 100 surfers in Argentina. And a year later, the military major, it was a Navy captain, decided that he banned surfing. So... I was no student association, no music, and now no surfing. So we couldn't surf. So uh, some of my friends kind of say, "Okay, we're not going to surf anymore." And and I took the attitude, I, "I don't think so." So with a few friends, we founded an illegal surfing association without permit from the government. But because I had my DJ system, I know how to organize party. We organized the first contest without permission, and that's a picture of my first contest. And I'm a little bit older there, like I'm 18, uh, 19. And I held the first contest, and six months later, uh, after working and being on the newspapers, on the only one TV station, the only one radio station talking about surfing and, and, and freedom to surf, we were allowed to surf. That's my brother. I was the organizer, and he was a surfer. He has the best part always. You know, I was playing the music, and he was dancing with the girls. But that's, that's what brothers are for, you know. It's the yin and yang. And... Uh, the, the promotion that we did for one year for the sport and the sport being legal again was so good that we went from a thousand, from a hundred surfers to a thousand surfers and in two years there were way more. So we started the first surf shop and that's my brother, myself, and my mom in red sweatshirt with two employees and that's the beginning of the first surf shop in Argentina. That's the first, uh, surf industry, uh, embryo or seed in Argentina. And it was great. We did great. It was like a not just a shop; it was a place to gather. You know, after surfing, we all get together, talk, listen to music—the music that the military didn't like us to listen to. Uh, we did all the things, and the military were still in charge in the country. They lasted uh, seven years, and uh, and my brother didn't like the cold winters, the long winters in Argentina. He didn't. He finished high school and he didn't want to. He didn't know what he wanted to do in college. I had already started law school after two years. I I had was. Drafted into the military, it was mandatory. So I had a year of playing around the DJ and a year of the opposite, being in the military, in the Coast Guard for one year. And my brother, which um, didn't want any of that, so he left. And that's the picture of my brother, myself, my mom. He's about to leave Argentina. It's the end of the summer. And he's saying, bye bye, Fernando. And um, so he came to California. He had all the savings in the world, and he loved surfing. So, so he decided to go to uh, Peru, to the South Pacific, to Tahiti, and then he landed in California, and very soon he ran out of money. So uh, he started working as a not a waiter, but a busboy in a, in a Mexican restaurant. That was his first job in America. And uh, when I finished law school, he told me, are you going to be an attorney in Argentina, or are we going to be playing brothers together in California? So I thought a little bit about it, and I decided to bail on Argentina. Bail on everything. I had a law degree. Democracy just came in Argentina back. It was nice. It was a lot of opportunity, but I really wanted to be with my brother. So it, was, it wasn't a business decision. It was a family decision, a hard decision. It was my, my soul needed to be with my only brother. And my brother was in California. It, wasn't, it, looked, it didn't look like a bad place to go anyhow. And uh, so I moved to California. And Four months later, with $4,000, which we have from family members, whatever, we started Reef. That's the first desk of Reef. It's a desk that we found on an alley, and the chair is a canvas chair for $15 that we bought on a, on a Target. And that was all the offices of Reef. I sat on one side, he sat on the other side. This is before, before computers in 85. And we have one phone line, which didn't ring. Supposedly they were going to call with orders for our sound, but nobody called. So it was very tough the first years. But uh, that was what we both wanted to do and, and we didn't want to go back to Argentina. We were happy to be in California, so we worked hard. And this is uh, reef five years later. We were running surfing contests, we have better product, the things were doing very well. And we have some you know, we always have a, a different view. A lot of you guys, like Steve was saying, might not have been born in San Diego or even in the US. And that which some people might perceive as a weakness, I thought it was a a benefit because I had my Argentinian culture and and my upbringing and and now I was learning the American way and the American culture. So I was very happy because you're actually getting two. You know, you can talk in Spanish, I can talk in English, Spanish is the same. We always did things in a different way using our roots. I was the CEO now of an international company. I didn't look like the CEO of an international company, as you can tell. And we, we came with these ideas that having girls in small bikinis like we have them in Argentina and Brazil. They di- we didn't have them in America. They have still big, big bikinis. I know now they're coming small. But at that time, they were all big in America. And we, know, we knew that that wasn't the way. So we decided to, to bring some friends and, and, you know, girlfriends of friends and daughters and cousins, whatever, to America to show the small bikinis. And that became part of Reef, And that's a typical... So this is... <laughs> So, so I didn't know if it, I didn't know if it was a good idea until the parents I didn't know if it was a good idea until the parents of the children that were looking at the at the girls in surfing and surfer magazine started complaining. And then I thought if the parents are complaining, their children are happy, maybe we got we got a way to go. And that was the way you know Reef up. It was a combination of products, of surf, of our Latin roots, and, of course, it didn't hurt to have girls' small bikinis. And, uh, you know, our family, three of them are my, my triplets, and now they are 18. They just graduated. They're just in their first year in college, two of them, and one is doing social work in Nepal. Uh, she left like a, month, like a week ago. So, you know, I still wanted to have time with them, and when you got three kids the same age, it's never, it's never easy because... You know, things go fast, and you don't learn with one and and get better with the second one. It's one shot. um, But I also wanted to surf. That's me and my brother surfing at a local uh, San Diego beach. And and Reef was getting so big, so successful, everybody was happy. But my brother and me weren't that happy because the salespeople wanted to sell more sandals. The wanted, the factory wanted to make more sandals. The bank wanted to lend us more money. The landlord wanted to lease us bigger facilities. And we wanted just to slow down because this monster was getting so big and so successful that it was destroying our lifestyle. It was destroying our relationship as brother. So we have a one day off and we decided that we're going to sell the company. And all of our friends told us, you're crazy. You're, you know, it's going like that. Why sell it like that? I said, because it's not a business decision. It's a personal decision. You know, people will teach you, business uh, professors, business schools will teach you how to make business plans. But nobody teaches you how to make life plans. And if you don't make plans about what you want in your life, you're going to end up, you know, like a leaf on, on the wind. You're going to go wherever. So don't just think about business plans. Think about what you want in your life. And then comes the business plan. It's not the other way around. It's not business first and life first. Because if you have a good business and that's all you have, you're going to be a successful businessman. But that's it, you're going to be very poor. So you're going ha- to keep that balance. And it's never easy, believe me. You'll screw it around, I'll screw it around, we all screw it around. Hopefully you don't screw up. You know It's very different, that's what I tell my kids. Screw around, don't screw up. So, uh, so we got all the directors of the company, and we put them on a boat. We took them to Tahiti for a week, and a couple of days into the boat trip, we told them, guys, we're out. We're going to sell the company, you guys need to take the ship and continue the sale, because we don't want to do it anymore. It's destroying our life. And that's what we did, and that allowed me to go back to my family. This is my wife, Florencia, which is he- here today. And the, then, uh, I think, 13-year-old triplets. And I had time to do other things. I had time to to play around, to meet incredible people. I started working on humanitarian and environmental organizations. I started working on, on, on a, 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 the ISA president to promote the sport of surfing around the world. When I came... They were surfing in 28 countries. Now it's in 96. And, uh, and I met some incredible people. This young lady, she was very young at the time. She's 15 then. Uh, is Bethany Hamilton. This is um, a year after she was attacked by a shark in Hawaii, and the shark took her left arm. And you might have heard about her. She's an incredible, inspirational uh, person. She just had a baby. And, uh, and uh, then I met this guy, Jason Mraz. He's uh, He's a very cool musician. He's a guy that works in a lot of uh, humanitarian organizations. So you see, it's like, if the only thing you're going to be thinking about is making money, you're going to be very poor. And all these guys that are quite impressive people, they think about more than making money. This is uh, Robin Williams. Uh, he's an incredible an incredible person. He was uh, the funniest person, but the deepest heart. And unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. And this is in, in a fundraiser that... Um, a few years ago in La Jolla, to raise money for, for athletes that needed artificial limbs. This is uh, from the surfing world, it's Andy Irons. He's one of the best surfers in history. He had a short life. He couldn't manage uh, uh, to stay out of trouble uh, and he died out of uh, drug abuse. He uh, was an incredible guy, a Hawaiian guy. So it's all, all sub, sort of people, some of them uh, will teach you a lot, some of them will teach you even more. This is uh, Gabriel Medina, he's the first ever Brazilian professional world champion. This is in, 19, in 2010 when he won the juniors at the ISA in New Zealand. A very young guy, very committed, from very humble backgrounds in Brazil, that now he's you know, the number one surfer in the world. And then I met this guy, I saw these videos, I knew he was Hawaiian, but I, I thought you know, if he's Hawaiian, he probably surfs, because most Hawaiians surf. Fact is, he body surfed, which is a way of surfing. And, uh, and I say if he's Hawaiian, he probably surfs. So I made shirts that said, Obama surfs, and started selling them online to help in his first campaign. And then like a month before the election, I met him. And uh, when I asked him, uh, do you surf? Yes, I surf. I was a better basketball player. So so that's the president. But I wanted to focus more on what I I believe that I was happy for being a, a surfer, for enjoying life in the ocean, and you guys are very close. The ocean is one of the few free places left in the world. The governments have not been able to figure out how to charge us for going in the ocean. It's basically breathing and going to the ocean. Everything else, we pay. And, uh, and I thought, if I can promote this in Africa, in Latin America, in Asia, there's you know, millions, literally, of young people, like my kids, like you guys, that would love to. They have the playground, but they don't know that they can use it. They're afraid of going to the ocean. many cultures, the ocean is, is scary. So I started working on that. That's uh, uh, the way I look when I go to a world championship. I dress up a little bit and put a funky uh, necklaces and, uh, and get excited and get people excited. Tomorrow starts the first ever world adaptive surfing championship. It means people that have physical... Uh, challenges. They're missing a limb, they have an accident, they're quadriplegics, whatever. There's 70 of them from 20 countries that are going to be tomorrow, so I wanted to share this with you. This is a poster, painted, it's like a nice uh, art from a local artist, his name is Andy Davis, which shows a surfer still riding with an orthopedic leg. Then this is an incredible surfer from Venezuela, which is going to be here too, and he's surfing. He doesn't have the lower limbs, but he's still surfing, he's still riding the waves. And you can see his face of excitement just flying behind uh, the board. And these are two amazing athletes that are going to be competing at the event. The lady, he's from England, 53. He had an accident like 25 years ago, and he's quadriplegic, and he is going to be competing. And she, at 19, she was one of the top four snowboarders in the world in Colorado. She had an accident, she ended up on a wheelchair. And she decided that she was not going to be only the best, she was going to be Olympic champion. She's the only person in the world that has won summer and winter Paralympic gold medals for the US. In the summer as a basketball player, in the winter as a downhill skier, and now she's training, she is in the American team, she's gonna compete tomorrow in the American team, and she's training to be a gold medalist in Rio next year on the sprint kayak, which is a 300 meter kayak uh, sprint. So, and these are examples of, you know, many times we think that we have problems, that we have obstacles or hurdles in life. And then when you look at other people and say, really, I, I, know, I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't swear here, no, because we're being recorded. It's tough to speak half an hour without swearing, but anyhow. So it's, you know, there's no reason to complain most of the time. And uh, so I wanted to share this little video with you guys. Thank you. So I didn't know a year ago that we were going to have these championships, but we talked to people and we realized that there was an opportunity to give them a place. And you know, you think about in America there is like places for people with disabilities to park their car, places for you to go up on a ramp on the curb so you can go in your wheelchair. And, and you know, there, there is a law of Congress that, uh, that prohibits discrimination. Due to uh, physical uh, disabilities. But most of the countries in the world are not like that. So when we run this event, we're not just hoping to give a place for, for these people, for these athletes, but also to show, you know, in most of the world, people with physical disabilities are kind of like tossed, tossed to the side by society. They're kind of like, they can't go anywhere. There's no places, no buses to, to take them, no, no places to go in a wheelchair. You know, the, the doors are not wide enough. There's no restrooms for them to use where they can fit. So it's a, it's a, uh, I hope that this event will allow us to show the world and show those people around the world that there is, there is life uh, different than the life they're having, no? So, when I had the triplets, I was working hard on Reef, so I didn't have as much time as I wanted. And when you have three kids the same age, you know, you get home, you got an hour to spend with your kids before they go to, to bed, and, you know, it's 20 minutes with each, or one hour with the three of them. It's not really the best. So, now I, I couldn't travel with them around the world. So now I travel with my wife, and we have a two-and-a-half-year-old. This picture is like a year ago. So I take them everywhere. You know, it's like my dad, I asked him, uh, he's 86, and I asked him, Dad, do you see the checker flag? You know, talking about death. Do you think you're going to die soon? And we Argentinians are kind of like that. We talk about things that most people don't talk. And my dad said, I don't see the flag, but I know it's closer. So when you see the flag, all of you guys are immortal right now. I mean, you don't think about the end of your life because it's so far away. And in 50, 60 years, it might be further away than what it is. But, you know, we older people think about life, you know, but think about the end of it. So spend time with your family. And this is my crazy-looking family. So this is me and my wife and the baby and the triplets. And, and, and yeah, we like to dress kind of funky and flowery. Not today. But uh, And hopefully have time to surf. And this is in Argentina this year. And I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm 57. But still every morning I get up and spend an hour in the ocean before my day starts. Whatever I have to do, whatever. And if I forget about that, I think there is something else to do. is my wife or my son or some of my brother to, to call me and say, listen, do the important things first. Get in the water for an hour. And there's only one thing better than surfing, I found as a pleasure. And he's surfing with the people he loves. So, they're surfing with my wife a couple of months ago and I'm the bad guy because I'm dropping in on her. I'm, <laughs> I'm cutting her off. And uh, You guys might, have remem- might remember the Declaration of Independence you know, of the United States was written 230 years ago. And uh, these guys, one of them at one point, went to another guy and said, you know what? We need to get rid of this allegiance to the king the king gets our money decides what to do with our money and we don't make the decisions let's start a revolution one guy eh? you know you look at the founding fathers that there are hundreds and thousands that they fought the revolutionary war but one guy we don't know who he is i don't know went and told another guy one of you whatever told another guy why what about this and there, I say, yeah, I like the idea. What about that? And then they met another guy, and there was no email, no communication, nothing. So they had to go, get on the horse, ride to the friend's house, talk to him and convince him, and then get on the horse and go and convince another one and get on the horse. And that's kind of the way it worked. And uh, they came up with a document. It was a revolutionary document because not only it was declaring independence from the most powerful kingdom in the world, with the most powerful navy and army in the world, which was the UK, Great Britain, or England, whatever you call it, but also it was, it was a document that said no, we are we are in charge of our of our lives, not the king and When I was a young man like you guys in Argentina, we have a class of history, and we learn about the American Declaration of Independence and The thing that stuck with me the most was that little thing, maybe not remembers often enough by most people, which is the pursuit of happiness. Imagine how revolutionary it was 230, 240 years ago. They didn't say the pursuit of more money, of more houses, of more power, of more fame, whatever. They said the pursuit of happiness. And life will take you to many opportunities in which your happiness will be postponed in order to achieve some other goal. And I say don't postpone because... First, you don't know how long your life is. And second, you don't know if that postponement will be for the rest of your life. So focus on that. And that's my happy face doing what I like the most, which is floating in the water and playing with the waves. So that's it, guys. Thank you.